Well, good morning. All right, fantastic. That was a better response. Um, well, we are, uh, we're so glad you're with us this morning. My name is, is Grant Nixon, and um, I am normally here. I'm not normally in Arlington like Peter. And so uh, if, if you've never seen me before, where have you been? I've been here, all right? So meet me here, okay? But uh, just a couple quick announcements. Um, we have our Good Friday service at 6.30 uh, on Friday. Peter just told you about it. Uh, the choir has, has been preparing um, for a long time for this, uh, and they're going to do uh, um, I Will Rise, uh, put together by Chris Tomlin, and so it's going to be a great time. So we encourage you to be here on Good Friday at 6.30. And then, of course, Easter Sunday, next Sunday at 10.50, we've got one service, and we're going to blow it out, and it's going to be a blast. Um, we're going to have a great time, uh, and so I hope that you will be here with us. Um, if, you're gonna, if you're afraid to invite people to church, uh, you insult people when you don't invite them on Easter, all right? Like, people assume, I'm going to get invited on Easter, so invite people, all right? Be that guy, be that woman, right? Like, when you're in traffic and someone cuts you off, hey, go to Christ Church Easter, you know? Like, invite people, all right? Do whatever you have to do, get them here. But um, today we're celebrating Palm Sunday. Now, what does that mean, Palm Sunday? Um, well, well, let's just... Let's Let's just look at the scriptures real quick. This is Jesus entering Jerusalem, starting the Passion Week. This is Jesus coming into, uh, coming into the city knowing um, that he is facing the cross. And so if you will, if you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 11. We're going to look at verse 7 through 11. Mark chapter 11, look at verses 7 through 11. If you don't have a Bible but you're technologically savvy, you can get uversion.com on your smartphones, your iPads, whatever, or download it from the App Store, uh, Uversion. So Mark chapter 11, verse 7 through 11. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches, or palm branches, uh, 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 leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything and it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now they were celebrating Jesus coming in. This is obviously a celebration, okay? And so as they celebrate Jesus, they're celebrating the Messiah. And so I want us to look at... Uh, one word today. Uh, now, this passage, there's a lot we can look at here. I want us to look at one word, and that word is Hosanna. And what does that word Hosanna mean? Now, this word uh, is not new. It's not, a, it's not a Greek word. It's actually a Hebrew word. Uh, and we find it originally in Psalm 118.25. And when we see the word Hosanna used in Psalm 118.25, do you know what it means? It means save, please. It means save me, please. It's, it's begging God for help. But you know what's funny about that psalm? It says, save me, please. And then the very next line says this, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So it's a cry for help. And then immediately after that, that cry is met. And so what happens in the, in the, uh, the Jewish language, this, this Hosanna, this cry for help, slowly started to change. And no longer did it mean, save me, please, but it started to mean salvation is here. It started to be a cry of hope. Not a cry of help, but a cry of hope. That salvation is here. And so that's what they're yelling. That's what they're, they're, they're praising God for now. When Jesus comes in, they're saying, salvation is here. Salvation is here, right? Now, what do they think that salvation is here for? They think in that moment that Jesus there is there to save them from the Romans. That's what they're saying. He's going to set up his earthly kingdom. Finally, salvation's here, okay? Like, we finally have our king here. He's going to take care of all of it. And what Jesus is saying is, no, no, no. Yeah, salvation is here, but I'm not here to save you from them. I'm here to save you from yourself. 
And you might say, well, what does that mean? Well, that brings us to our topic today. And, and this morning, uh, this, the title of the sermon is Dirty Laundry. And, and if you'll indulge me, I, I decided to bring some of my dirty laundry. And, and this is really my dirty laundry. Because, and the way that you know it is, is because one of the handles is broken. All right? You know, like if we had planned this out better, it would, it, if it wasn't mine, it, it would be together. But anyway, so some of this really is my dirty laundry. The only thing I did, I didn't change anything. The only thing I did was I dug through to make sure that none of the underwear was in there. Because that would be embarrassing and my wife would leave the church. So anyway, so um, the thing about dirty laundry, uh, this, this is a reality for the rest of our lives. Okay. And when you have kids, it grows. But when you're in college, it seems like it's always there, right? Like dirty, you live in dirty laundry in college. Uh, there was one time I, I was uh, listening to um, Sinbad and this was years and years ago, but he was talking about um, in college, you have two categories of clothes. Um, you have, uh, maybe you have dirty clothes, uh, and you have funky clothes, all right? Now, here's how this works. Dirty clothes, you can wear again, all right? You smell them, all right, they're, they're all right. Dirty clothes, you wear again, right? Funky clothes, you throw away, all right? Like those, you don't wear again. And so, I mean, maybe some of you guys, even this morning, this is what you did. You went into your dirty, you, you went, there's a pile of clothes in your bedroom. You picked it up, and you went, all right, you know, I'm going to wear this today, all right? Maybe you're still on the sniff type of type of system here I don't know but the reality is like we all have dirty laundry now what do I mean by that the simple way of putting it sin that's what I mean by that that's a simple way of putting it but when I say sin it seems like that only offends God like that seems like one-sided when I say sin you think okay so my dirty laundry is offensive to God but the reality is it's toxic not only to, to your relationship with God but it's toxic to you as well and so that's what I mean by dirty laundry and so remember this that the law of of God is is made for what the law of God is for the is for the glory of God and the joy of all people there's a freedom in living the life that Christ has for you and so what does that mean when you live the life that Christ doesn't have for you that means there's bondage that means there's not freedom that means there's a burden that's what Jesus rode into Jerusalem for he rode into Jerusalem that day facing the cross for what for our dirty laundry to take that burden off of us. Uh, Tommy McCall put all of this stuff up here this week and did a great job. I'd never seen this cross before. And so when he put it up, I was sh- it's, such a, it's such a good looking cross. And, and I turned to Tommy and I, and I said that. I said, that's a good looking cross. And then I said, how strange would this conversation be? That statement right there, put that in the first century. You know what I mean? Like whatever you go back in time, meet some of the Christians. Isn't that a good looking cross? You know what I mean? Like, you know, they're being crucified. All right, we'll talk later. Uh, so anyway, so what does dirty laundry do? What does dirty laundry do? All right, and let's, let's look at this. The first thing it does is it causes tension in our relationships. Um, uh, my roommate in college, like our dorm room was constantly just piles of clothes, right? Okay, it was just everywhere, all right? And so we just had this weird, you know, whatever. But he had this weird side of him that if all of a sudden one day I would come in the room and all of his clothes would be picked up and mine would still be there. And then he would just get really angry. And he'd say, why didn't you pick up your clothes? Because I can't read your mind. I didn't know you were doing that today, right? You know, and so I, it, was, it was terrible. And so there's a lot of tension between us because of our dirty laundry. And, and also in college, we went to a camp out one time. I think of our, our other tension over dirty laundry. And um, he decided that it would be funny to um, relieve himself into the fire, and when he did that, if you've never done that before, good for you. Uh, but if you've ever been around people like that, 
That means the smell of whatever you put in the fire comes out in the smoke. And so whatever that smoke goes into, i.e. your clothes, starts to smell like what went into the fire, all right? So he did this. Our clothes, of course, absorbed the smoke. I didn't know that little lesson. And so we go back to the dorm room and we do what we always do with our dirty clothes, throw them in the floor. And so after a while, our room smells terrible, right? And then I come to the realization of what it is, right? I find those clothes. I'm doing the, I'm about to leave for class. So I do the, you know what I mean? And then I find funky, right? And I'm like, why is this so bad? That's what I wore to the camp out. He peed on my clothes, right? You know, I came to that realization, and so there was tension in our relationship, and it's the same thing. And here's what I mean by that. Some of our dirty laundry is, is, is stuff like, like gossip, and some of our dirty laundry is stuff like, um, like lust and, and anger and unforgiveness, and, and those types of things affect our relationships with other people. Um, and when you do that, that tension builds up. When you hold on to that, that tension builds up. Let me give you an example. In Ephesians chapter 5, um, in verse 33, it tells us how to, how to live as a married couple, how a husband should treat their wife and vice versa. So here's how, what it says. Each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. When you don't uh, live like this, there's tension. Think about that, that type of love. To love your wife as yourself, and she must respect her husband. Now, if you live that way, right, the way that God's intended, then that's going to be a pretty great marriage. But when we don't love that way, when that's our dirty laundry, then there's a lot of tension, a lot of problems, usually a lot of fighting. It reminds me of a time this guy came into church, and he went to talk to his pastor, and he said, Pastor, I have a confession to make. I, um, my wife and I, we fought every day for 30 years, every single day. And the pastor went, wow. He said, you fought today before church? She said, yep. He said, how'd it turn out? He said, well, she, she came to me crawling on her hands and knees. And he said, really? What'd she say? She said, get out from under the bed, you coward. Fight like a man. <laughs> so like, we have, we have tension in our relationships. And so, so dirty laundry causes tension in our relationships. It also uh, becomes a burden for you to carry. Now, whenever I came home uh, for co- from college, I was three hours away, one way, okay, six hours round trip. Um, if, if people ever came to my dorm and said, are you going to do your laundry? No, I got a lady for that. She's just three hours away, and her name's Mom, right? And so whenever I came home, I had like hampers full of clothes that I had to pack in my car, right? And I had a two-seater little truck, okay? And so I had the truck bed packed. I looked like I was moving or stealing. I don't know, one of the two. And so like I had the passenger seat was full. Like people would be like, can I ride back to Memphis with you this weekend? If you can find a spot, you absolutely can. And so I just had all these things. I would find little boxes and just shove more clothes in there. And so whenever I went home, it it wasn't as simple as, all right, I'll see you guys Monday. It was, uh, all right, can I get some help lifting this? You know what I mean? Like, I really need some help there. It became a burden. And so, you know, there were some times I knew I was, it was time for me to go home, and I didn't even want to, because I didn't even want to carry all that stuff to my car, you know? Like, that's the extent of laziness I was. But anyway, um, maybe you have a personal struggle that you carry around with you, and it's become a burden on you. Maybe something controls you. You get what I'm saying? Maybe something is a vice for you. Um, and so what I mean by that, maybe, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's lust, maybe it's anger. Uh, I don't know, but maybe it's something like that. Um, and and the, the reality is we live in a middle class mindset. And you might say, uh, okay, I'm, I'm, thank you for calling me middle class. What do you mean by that? It's middle class mindset is pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? 
And we respect that in our culture, don't we? Like that's, that's something that we really like, we really respect. No one likes the people who, who inherited their money, right? You know what I mean? Like no one likes that guy, okay, unless you pay us. Okay, and so anyway, like we, we live in this middle class mindset where it's pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And so the reality is like a lot of us carry burdens around because we think I'll fix it. I'll take care of this. And so maybe it's not something that controls you, but maybe it's something that you want to have control over. Maybe it's a part of your life that you say, God, you can have everything. You can have my family. You can have, uh, you can have my church life. But my job, I'm going to do this in my job. I set a goal to be here in my job. So I'm going to do what I have to do to get here. And so maybe it's something that you have to have control over. But the reality is when you carry a burden like that, when you carry a burden that either controls you or you control it, you're going to fail. And, and what's going to happen? What does that burden bring you? A new burden called shame. And what happens then? The dirty laundry that you're carrying around, that control issue that you have, that shame that's on you, does what? Shame always drives you away from God. So it drives you away from your source of help, doesn't it? So it separates. And the third thing that dirty laundry does, and the biggest thing, the thing I want to focus on today, our dirty laundry creates a barrier between us and God creates a barrier between us and God. And this is what Jesus came for. He knew this. And this is why Jesus came. This is what he was doing. He wrote into Jerusalem saying, they're separated from God by, the, by their sin, by the things that they're holding on to. And I'm going to come and I'm going to break those things down. I'm going to reunite us and I'm going to make peace for us. And that's why Jesus came. And the reality is we all have dirty laundry. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all messed up. Uh, Isaiah 46, 6 says, our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. And that, those filthy rags have come between us and God. Isaiah 59, 2 says, but your iniquities, your sin, your dirty laundry have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And so ultimately, what does it do? It separates us from God. That's the ultimate. Out of all the categories of it, doesn't matter what it is, it separates us. And so if you've never decided to follow Jesus, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, like we just saw these two ladies do today, then, then what that means is that you're eternally separated from God. That means that all that junk in your life is keeping you from God forever, unless something changes. And so what it means, though, if you're a follower of Jesus, is that if you, if you are holding on to that dirty laundry in your life, holding on to that control, holding on to those sins, not giving God the, the control, not trusting him, then what that means is that you are separated from living uh, uh, the, the, from the, the joy of knowing Christ fully. You're messing up your relationship with God in that sense. And so it separates. But remember, remember what we just said at the beginning. Hosanna, right? Hosanna in the highest, right? That's good news. Salvation is here, okay? Salvation has come. And so that's what Jesus has come to do, to take this from us. But there is a catch. I'll give you this. There is absolutely a catch. When I would come home from college and I would pull up and I look like, you know, the clampets, right? Like I'd pull up in my truck and just, just stacks of dirty clothes and things like that. You know something that never happened, an amazing thing, never, this never ever happened. My mom was never waiting by the door looking for me, right? And I pull in and she goes, the laundry's here, right? You know, she never ran out and grabbed it from my truck and carried it in. And she's like, Dude, please give me more, right? Like, no. But the reality is when I, when I brought it in to her, she was more than willing and more than capable to take care of it for me. And she did. And so she's, she's a great mom for that. And the reality is Christ is more than willing, more than capable to forgive you, to cleanse you, uh, to restore you. But you have to trust him. You have to bring it to him. 
And it's weird. We all have problems of letting go of our dirty laundry. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's our middle class mentality. Maybe it's our, maybe it's our, our shame that's built into us. I don't know what it is, but we all have a problem letting go of it. And until you let go of it, there's no hope of, of, of Christ fixing it in your life. There's no hope of Christ forgiving, forgiving that and, and, and removing that from your life. Uh, King David said this in Psalm 51.3, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. He said this right before he went on to say, how, how God had blotted out his sin. How God had forgiven him completely. But the first thing we have to do is we've got to own up to it. And so what I, I want to talk about the rest of the time we have is that we all have dirty laundry and it's all different. And, and I think there are three main categories that are labeled in the scriptures that show us that all of our sin will fall under. One of these three categories. And maybe all of us have sin in every category. Maybe some of us really struggle with one more than the other. But I want to look at those categories um, um, for us today. For 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So what are those three categories? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. And all of our sin fall into these categories. And as we look at these categories, what I want you to know today is that I'm not just going to name them and show them to you. Um, what I'm going to do is, is I, want to, I want to show you how, they, uh, uh, how they've affected my life. Um, how I've had dirty laundry in all of these categories um, and how that's affected my life. Where did he go? I'm right here. Um, and so, so what I want to do is, is we've got right here a clean linen, right? And this is what God has given us, uh, a clean slate, if you will. Um, and one of the things that, that we do uh, is we dirty it up, right? We dirty it up with our sin. And so uh, as we look at each one of these categories, I'm going to give you an example of how I've done that um, in my life and how I've been a victim of that in my life. So um, the first one is, is the lust of the flesh. Um, and what that means is, is wanting what is against God's desire for you. And we all do that. Even after we're Christians, we all do that. Romans 7.15, Paul says this, for I do not understand my own actions. I, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Is anyone else with that? That I don't do what I want to do, but the things I don't want to do, the things that I hate, I do those all the time. And so you might say, give me an example of the lust of the flesh. All right, give me an example. What do you mean? Uh, the Bible gives us many. Galatians 5.19 says this, the deeds of the flesh are this. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, uh, uh, caressing, and things like these. So listen, here's the thing. In my life, the lust of the flesh, the way that it, that, that it really came out in my life and a huge problem I had uh, was something called anger. And as I struggled with anger, the thing was is that when, when I was consumed with it, it began to eat me alive. Like I couldn't be around people. It destroyed my relationships with other people. And this lust of the flesh, this dirty laundry, it drove me further and further away from God. Because God was telling me to love people. God was telling me to trust him and trust his justice. And I was saying, no, I'll take care of this. I won't let them do that to me. And so I was all about vengeance. I was all about uh, anger. And it was eating me alive. And so that was the lust of the flesh that was destroying me. And so, so maybe some of you in here, your dirty laundry is the lust of the flesh. Maybe it's outbursts of anger. Maybe it's disputes with other people. Maybe it's drunkenness. Maybe it's envy. Maybe it's jealousy. I don't know, but maybe it's something like that. And as soon as you have that, you have some dirty laundry here. The second thing is the lust of the eyes. And what this means is you're motivated to sin based on what you focus on. 
And the Psalms tell us this, please, Lord, keep my eyes from beholding vanity. In Job 31, he says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. It's very important what we focus on. It's very important what we choose to see. And so, so I think it affects men and women maybe a little bit differently. Men, I would use an example for, for, um, uh, for men as lust of the eyes is, is women. And so an example from, from my own life um, would be the same thing. An example from my own life would be lust. Um, you know, it starts off innocently. You know, I remember being a kid. I remember being, you know, in, in fifth grade and going over to a friend's house. And he got, um, his dad ordered Sports Illustrated. And, and you know what I'm talking about. All the other Illustrated we didn't care about, but there was one we did. You know what I mean? The one that you put inside of another magazine. Okay. And so, uh, so it's a Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition. I remember seeing that with other guys. And it wasn't a big deal. Like, that's what guys do, right? You know what I mean? You just look at those things. And, and as, I, as I let that, that become a way that I live, that, that all of a sudden when I see women, that's, that's just what you do. You just look at them. That, that's what you do. As I began to, to, to live my life that way, lust really began to take over in my heart. And so I, I compromised and compromised and compromised, and, and I let other things in my life. And, and I remember the, the first time I was exposed to pornography, and, and it really began to change my heart and the way that I saw women and the way that I treated them even. And so it was this dirty laundry that it shamed me so bad that I ran from God because I said, there's no way he can forgive me. There's no way he wants me now. And as I ran from God, it just became more and more of a burden and it overwhelmed me and, and, and began to just eat away at me. And so maybe some of you in here have lust of the eyes. You might say, well, that's not me. Okay, I'll give you one. I got another lust of the eyes. How about this? Um, I, uh, uh, I, I'm really into gadgets, like big time, okay? Like anything that has a light on it, I want it, okay? You know what I mean? Like, oh, cool, that has a butt. Like, I will buy, ask Angela. Like, she'll send me this store, and she'll be like, I need a spatula. And I will bring back one um, with a calculator on it. Why? But it, are you serious? It's a spat- it has a calculator in it, right? Like, it's amazing. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm big into gadgets. And so one of the things that, that, that we suffer with is, is we focus on what other people find important instead of focusing on God. And so our lust of the eyes becomes a desire for worldly things. And those consume us. And, and believe me, that's been a point in my life where that just absolutely consumed me, was wanting things that made me, that, that, that other people had. And so maybe you're like that. You know, maybe, maybe guys, maybe it's the car you drive. Maybe it's the, the clothes that you wear. Maybe it's the set of clubs you play with. You're not going to be any better, all right? You're not good now. You won't be good with better clubs, all right? <laughs> Ladies, maybe it's the same thing for you. Maybe, maybe it's, it's the clothes you wear. Maybe it's the house you live in. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's the car you drive. Maybe it's the job you have. But that's a lust of the eyes. That's wanting uh, something, focusing on something other than what um, God has for us there. And, and the last one is the boastful pride of life. Now, the boastful pride of life, it didn't just say pride of life. It didn't just say that you're prideful and that you're, you're, you're focused on yourself and you're self-centered. It says you're boastful, okay? So it's not just that, yeah, I can do it, but hey, everybody, look at me, I can do it. Otherwise, it's, um, you know, it's something like I'm better than you, nanana boo-boo, stick your head in doo-doo, right? Like that's what it's talking about, all right? That's Greek, all right? That's Greek. You just learned something. The boastful pride of life, right? Like, look at me. Look at what I can do. It's not just taking care of everything for yourself, but it's just letting everyone else know that you're doing it, right? And it's living in, in that sense. 
And so I think that this mentality is most commonly, uh, among this room anyways, most commonly um, revealed in one way. And, and this, I was a huge victim to this um, as well. And it was revealed in religion. Religion is a huge vice. Religion is a huge problem that we have. And a huge thing that we suffer with as, as Christians, right? Um, and, and here's what I mean by that. Um, we, we are constantly in a battle between religion and the gospel. What the gospel says and what religion says. And so being a religious person is just as much a burden and just as much dirty laundry as anything else I've said. And so I want to I give some, I want to differentiate between what the religion says and what the gospel says. The first thing, religion says, if you obey, then God will love you. But what the gospel says is God loves you, so obey him, right? I heard a pastor give this illustration one time of his son who was in rebellion, who was, who was sinning and just didn't care. And, and he sat his son down and he said, son, um, who am I? And he says, you're my father. And he says, um, how do I feel about you? And he says, you love me. He says, that's absolutely right. I do love you. Um, and he says, are you, are, are, you, are, you doing, are you obeying me? And he says, nope, I'm not. And, uh, and, and, and then the son says, um, and then he says, son, or the father says, son, I want you to obey me. And the son says, what will you do if I don't? And the father says, I won't love you any less than I do right now. I, I love you completely. I couldn't love you anymore. I won't love you any less, but I will be grieved. I will be hurt by it. And so the son said, let me get this straight. I, you, you're, if, if I obey you, you'll love me. And if I don't obey you, you'll love me. He says, yeah, that's right. And the son said, fine, dad, I'll obey you. And that's a gospel response. That we obey God because he loves us and because he's a good dad. You don't, and love never works that way. That if I obey you long enough, you'll love me, right? Has that ever worked at, at your job? You know what I mean? Like you have a terrible, terrible boss. And you know, like if I just keep doing what they say, they'll eventually love me. Stop being weird. No, they won't, right? That's not how it works. And so religion tells us, if I keep doing this, if I work harder, if I'm a better person, right, then God will love me. And, and no, that's not it at all. God loves you. Now obey him because he loves you, right? He has a plan for you. He has a good plan for you. He's a good dad. Religion also says the world is full of good people and bad people. The gospel says there's only two types of people. There's bad people and there's Jesus. And, and, and the, the reality is uh, that the only difference between us is that some of us know it and some of us don't. And that's a, that's a freeing thought as well. is to know that, you know, I'm not trying to stay in a category of good or bad. I am bad. But Christ loves me regardless. And Christ will make me good. He'll make me like him. Religion says that um, hardship is a punishment from God. And when things go bad in my life, it's, it's God punishing me. The gospel says that God doesn't punish us. That God has punished Christ for our sin. And he would never be unjust and punish us as well as punishing his son. Does that make sense? That your sin, the wrath of God for your sin was poured out on Jesus where? On the cross. And he won't do it again. That's not just. Now, that doesn't mean that sin is without consequence. Um, God absolutely, Hebrews 12, 6 says that the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. God will correct us. Absolutely, he'll correct us. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about that. When a religious person thinks this way, that, that God's punishing me for something I did, their religion doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Because what happens is religious people get bitter towards God, right? I came to church. I gave my tithe. I, I taught in VBS, right? I stayed awake for most of Grant's message. You know, like, why are you doing this to me? Religion doesn't work. 
But what the gospel says is that he's not punishing you, and in fact, he's with you through it all, right? That works. The gospel works. Religion tends to use God. Use God to get rich. Use God to get a spouse. Use God to to make your business grow, to make your family better. The gospel is not about getting from God. The gospel is about getting God, period. It's about being content with knowing God. Isn't that a freeing thought? I don't have to get anything from him. He's enough for me. The religion focuses on visible sin and makes a lot of rules about how you should look and how you should act. You know, for example, like we live in the Bible Belt. And if any of you go to lunch today and, and have a beer, let me be honest right now. If I walk in, what do you do with that beer? Seriously, what do you do with it, right? Like, put a menu around it, right? It's, a, it's the preacher, right? Like, that's how we live, right? That's religion. That's not the gospel. That's religion. You know, we can say, oh, don't have a drink. But hey, you know, all the money that, that you make, it's all yours. Go do whatever the heck you want to do with it right? Don't bless your neighbor with it. Go live in a giant house you don't need, right? You know what I mean? And we say, that's fine. Okay, that's fine. We haven't made that rule, but, but don't touch alcohol. No, no, right? That's religion. That's not what the gospel says. The gospel doesn't, doesn't mainly care about your actions. The gospel cares about what? Your heart. That's what Jesus cares about. You know, there's a story that, that we talk about a lot um, in here um, uh, about about the, the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and he's done everything right, okay? He looks great on the outside. He's followed all the rules. And Jesus says, go sell everything because I know that's where your heart is. So go sell everything and then come follow me. And the rich young ruler walks away. Why? Jesus wanted his heart. Jesus didn't want his things. Jesus didn't want his actions. Jesus wanted his heart mainly. Religion tells us this. Religion is all about self-righteousness. What I can do to make myself better. You know what the gospel's about? Gift righteousness. That he's declared you righteous. The Bible says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So that what? We can become the righteousness of God. It's not about you making yourself better. You're not good enough. None of us are good enough. If I ask you to come up here and to spray paint every, every sin, every, dirt, every piece of dirty laundry you had on here, we would need a few more of these, right? Maybe a few hundred per person, right? None of us are good enough, right? And so it's not about making yourself better. That's a burden, right? Isn't it a great thought to know that God has gifted us righteousness? He says, you're clean before me and you're perfect before me because of what Christ has done, not what you've done. And so religion either ends in, it ends in two places, either pride or despair. Pride is when you're a really good religious person, right? You know what I mean? When you're a Sunday school teacher, okay? Pride is like a real, you're a super good religious person. You don't smoke, you don't chew, you don't go with girls that do, right? Like, like you're really good at it. And so you get prideful because you think, look how great I am. What's wrong with all the people outside of here? What's wrong with all the people who sleep in on Sunday morning? Look at how great I am. And so it ends in pride. And, and, the, and the Bible says that the Lord despises the proud. Or it ends in despair. Maybe you're not very good. Maybe you said, you know, I was going to wake up and I was going to read my Bible and I was going to pray, but, you know, I slept in and so, oh, now I feel guiltier. You know, I was going to come to church and I was going to help with VBS, but, you know, like I got this migraine and, you know, kids and migraines and now I feel bad. You know, it, it ends in despair. I'm never going to be good enough, right? But where does, so, so, so religion always either ends with pride or despair, but, but where does the gospel end? The gospel ends with, with humility and with happiness. Humility and happiness. You say, you know what, I, I'm not good enough, but God is. 
And, and you know what? I, I, can't, I can't be good enough. I'm trying, but I can't be good enough. And it says, but it, it's okay. Because Christ has declared me good enough. And he's still working with me. Yeah, I messed up this week. Yeah, I slipped. Yeah, I fell. Yeah, I wasn't perfect. But Christ loves me all the same. And he's working with me. And he's gracious to me. The gospel works. Religion doesn't. Have you found yourself in any of these categories? Have you found yourself to be a religious person? I know religion ran my life for so long. And I, and I, was, I was carrying around that dirty laundry. I didn't even realize that my religion was separating me from God. But if, if, if that's you, here's the good news. The conclusion is this. Jesus wants your heart. And that's what he came for. He came for that. And so to get to your heart, what does he need to do? He needs to take care of your dirty laundry. He needs to forgive you. He needs to take, he needs to, to take it away from you. And that's what he came to do. And that's what he wants to do this morning. And we all have dirty laundry. We all do. And, and the reality is we have to own up to it. We have to own up to it this morning. We have to stop trying to hide. We have to stop trying to fix ourselves, right? We have to own up to it. And so for those of you in this room who you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you need to own up to that. You need to own up to all of your dirty laundry, all of your past. You need to give it to Him. For those of you in this room who, who you know Christ, but, but like Paul, you don't do the things you want to do, but you do the things that you hate, we need to learn to trust Him. And this morning, we need to give that back to Him. Here's the reality. Ephesians 4.16 says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's time for us to surrender our dirty laundry to him and as we do that, he will be faithful. He'll be faithful to forgive us. As the band comes back up, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask, we're going to have a couple of people come up here and they're going to move this um, down front. And here's what we're going to do this morning. And it's a little, it's a little different. Um, but as we play this next song, here's what I want us to do. Um, I want you guys to, to come up front, however you want to do it, one at a time, ten at a time, whatever. We're going to have this right here. And we're also going to have a table right next to it. And, we, and we've got, you know, some, some Sharpies or markers or something on it. And what I want you to do is I want you to bring your dirty laundry here. And I don't know what, how you want to mark this thing. I don't know if you, if you want to write exactly what it is like I did. I don't know if you want to write anger, if you want to write unforgiveness, then write it. If you want to just put your name and say, Christ, today, today I, I, I am bringing it all to you. Just put your name. I don't know if, if, if you want to, if you just want to put the date, if you just want to put today's date, that today I'm bringing you my, my dirty laundry. I don't know. I, I don't know what you want to put on here. I'm not saying that this is magic. I'm not saying that this is, that this is, you, this is necessary. You have to do this or Christ can't forgive you, or he's not going to help you, because that's not the case. But however, what, what I would like for us to do is, is as a symbolic gesture, as a way to say, like, I'm, I'm physically God, I'm tired of it, I'm not carrying these burdens anymore, I know that's what you came for, I know that you came to set me free, and so I'm, I'm going to give it to you today. And so I'm going to start. I'm going to start, and I'm just going to write something on here, and, and we're going to have these here. And so during this song, as we, as we stand and, and we sing this song, Move out of your seat and come up here and let's give it to him. He's waiting. He's waiting there. He rode into Jerusalem for it. He faced a cross for it. And he's waiting for you. So maybe it's time for you to come forward and say, God, no more am I going to live this way. God, I, no more am I going to hold on to this. God, I, I've had a heart of anger and I'm letting it go. I've had a heart of greed and I'm letting it go. 
God, I, 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 am, I, I am holding on to control of this area of my life. No more. So this is time for you and God. You come up here. You bring your dirty laundry. You bring those things that, that are keeping you from experiencing the fullness of knowing Christ. And you give them to Him. This is your time. Would you stand with us as we pray? Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for your love. And so God, now as um, we sing this song, we sing about your cross, um, may we recognize that God, uh, you rode into Jerusalem. And you rode in not to shame us, not to guilt us, but to save us from ourselves. God, to save us from our dirty laundry, to save us from those things, those burdens that we carry around. So God, would you give people freedom today? Would you give us the courage to give it over to you? And would we able, be able to experience that peace and that joy of knowing that we've surrendered all to Christ? So God, we love you and, and, and we thank you. Be lifted up as we sing.